Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in today's Beneplan podcast. My name is Sofian Sheikh and I'm joined by Evelyn. Evelyn, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Evelyn Mitskopoulos. I'm the client representative for Beneplan. Thank you so much. And today we will be talking about a very important topic in benefits world. How companies can prevent the hidden landmines in a benefit plan that come back to haunt them in court. Evelyn, what do you think about this topic, first of all? Very important because there are a lot of things that plan members don't understand that could go wrong and plan sponsors have to be in tune with that otherwise there are legal liabilities that can haunt them many years later either immediately or many years later and we then plan want to prevent that from happening getting right into it insurers always refer to the statement are all members on the benefit plan actively at work what does that mean actively at work is a coin phrase that insurers always use it's a very important phrase because it actually speaks about um, what is deemed actively at work. There are many areas and we'll talk about a few of them right now. Outside of being on maternity or paternity, that's when you're away from work for reasons of, of course, giving birth or supporting that birth. Every other person must actually be at work. If they're not at work, they're deemed not actively at work. How does that affect the plans? it means that you may not actually have coverage at that point in time. So whenever anybody is not at work, usually for reasons of disability, or it could be a leave of absence, it could be um, even a severance agreement that was given. Those are reasons we need to know about. We have to find out if we're still covered, if that member is still covered, that employee is still covered or not. They may not be eligible for the plan anymore because they are not actively at work. That's where we come in, we assess the situation, we find out what needs to be done. Sometimes we actually have to contact the insurer. And when we do that, we ask for what's called a letter of agreement. That letter of agreement is the insurer saying, it's all right, we'll let that employee be off of work for three months. Here are the parts of the benefits that we will cover for them when they're not at work. Here are the parts that we won't cover. For example, they won't cover out of country because they're thinking if you're away, you are not going to be entitled to be covered for out-of-country coverage. There could be other reasons as well, but the whole point here is they can pick and choose what part of a plan they will cover, what part they won't cover, or they could say they'll cover in its entirety. The point is we never know what they're going to say, so we can't guarantee to that employee that they'll have coverage when they're away. And that's the reason that we just can't arbitrarily say to somebody, yes, go ahead and do what you have to, take the time off, we have to give them caution and say, you can give them the time off, but you may not be covered under the benefit plan. And you should know that before you depart, because that's a risk you're going to have to assume, not the employer and not the insurer. Are eligible employees enrolled on time? What is the consequence if they are not? So the, the employer has 31 days in which to enroll somebody from the date that they're hired, or I should say the date that they're actually effective. So for instance, if the plan design says from the first day work, three months you have until you're enrolled. So three months has passed by. From that three months on to another 31 days later, you must have the application and the enrollment form into the administrator. If it's not done and it comes on even day 32, you're deemed late. You're a late applicant. If you're a late applicant, that opens up a whole other world of a liability again. And what does that mean? It means that the first step will be we have to now give you a health questionnaire. The insurer gives you a health questionnaire. You fill it out. 
and they can again say yes or no to you getting enrolled in the plan. The consequences are huge. If you, the employer, had said to them, as your employment here in contract, you will have health insurance with us, but you missed this enrollment date, and now you were refused from the insurer to be enrolled because you didn't pass a health questionnaire, we now have to say to you, I'm sorry, you have no insurance, and now your contract, your employment contract with the employer is not fully adhered to. Mm -hmm. So there's another liability there again. So we never ever want to miss a date. And you do have 31 days in which to get that in. I would suggest you don't even wait for that 31 days. The minute that you have somebody employed, just give us the application, give us the enrollment, and make it our responsibility to ensure that we enroll them at the right time, not yours, so that a date isn't missed. Oftentimes, you know, uh, plan um, employers will tell you that they've been chasing their employee to get the form completed. That can take a couple of months on its own, but the minute you do get it, bring it in to us, because if you sit on it and wait for the right time, you may miss that date as well. Wow, so time management is really important when it's you're... It's really important. Okay. Why is it important to ensure that the employer always reports to the current salaries of an employee? There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, firstly, one of the main reasons is that we, um, if a plan has a disability policy on there, so for instance, if they have short-term disability or they have long-term disability coverage on there, we have to have the current salary. And why do we? Because the, the salary that they're going to get as a payout on the um, disability reflects what their salary was. So it's a percentage. I'll give you an example. So if you're on long-term disability, most of the plans, our coverage is 66.67% percent of the salary up to a maximum. If we don't have the current salary and we have it reported from the employer and we have an older salary, and now the person actually goes on disability, the insurer will only cover them for the amount that we had reported at the last event. So if they've since gotten an increase, and we've had employers where they has, has not submitted the up-to-date employee salary, mm -hmm. and they got a huge increase. It could have been 10, 20, 40,000 I've seen. That's a substantial increase in their long-term disability payments, but we couldn't give them that. Oh, wow. Because they weren't reporting the accurate salary, mm -hmm. the up-to-date salary. And now, as the employer, have to go back to your employee and say, I'm sorry, you're not getting a full benefit because I didn't report your salary is another legal liability you don't want to be in. Wow. So what's the time frame? Let's say, for example, there's a salary change and, you know, some time passes. Ideally, should it be done right away? Yes. Ideally? Yes. Okay. Time should not be missed in this case because one never knows when somebody is going to be on a disability mm -hmm. or when any, something else happens. Mm -hmm. um, for example, mm -hmm. it could also be a life insurance. Mm -hmm. God forbid, but you know, people do die. And we have life insurance on the plans as another coverage. Mm -hmm. There again, depending on how it goes, and a lot of times that might just be a flat payout and then it's not relevant what the employer actually makes, mm -hmm. or employee, sorry, makes, but at times, it's actually a percentage or there might be an additional based on salary that they might be bumped up to another level. And if that's the case, again, we can't pay out the accurate amount. And so then, of course, the beneficiary will come to us and say, what do you mean I don't get this amount and I get a lesser amount? Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be in any gray area again because there's another. You see, again, how there's another legal liability there. 
And to try to clean these things up after the fact gets very, very difficult. Sometimes we can manage to do that, and sometimes you end up going to court. You never want to end up going to court. That's not the place for anybody to be. And so that's why at Beneplan, we're always trying to mitigate these factors to make sure that they don't happen. We educate our employers all the time on it. And we hope that they hear us. Sometimes they don't. And oftentimes they do. Hopefully we're effective and we're trying each and every way to reach out to them, including what we're doing today in our podcast. So I know like ideally would be done as soon as possible, but because people have, you know, different responsibilities, you know, they can be sidetracked in this. So what's the latest you think, you know, the time frame is? Well, there's no real time frame on this. Uh To be honest with you, we have people reporting six months later, they get away with it because nothing has happened. They were just lucky that nothing happened in the interim. But then we also have people who didn't report for three months, but something did happen in the interim. So, um, and then we've got an issue, we've got a legal issue. Mm -hmm. So what we wanna say is, as soon as you are increasing your employee salary, and oftentimes in most companies, they do it across the board. They might do it every six months, every year, then you should, your next thing you should think of when you're the PA at the company is, okay, let's report that. Let's go on to Beneplan's website and let's update it immediately so that we've got everybody current. Mm-hmm. And that's the best way to handle it because, again, we have no idea when anything, we're dealing with humans here. And the human factor can happen at any time. And so if you're not updated, then you're stuck to whatever that last currency is. And remember, too, that when you're updating, um, premiums have to be paid along the way as well. If premiums aren't paid, that's another reason that there's no coverage going on, and then we have to sort that out as well. And are your beneficiary choices still relevant? Has anything changed, example, like marital status? So we always want to let people know that um, they've got to talk to their employees. So the employers always should have a little check-in list with their employees. When we first enroll people, that's sort of a check-in list because we, we get all the relevant information. Where, where do they live? Are they married? Um, do they have or are they cohabitating? Um, are they coordinating benefits with somebody else? Do they have children as dependents? Who are the beneficiaries? What happens oftentimes is that these pieces of information actually change. You know, people will get divorced or separated. I'm going to give you an example of something that went terribly wrong. So we had a, a, a member who had, um, had gotten sick, quite ill, um, terminally ill. And during that period, and his beneficiary was his um, wife who was, that he was separated from. And subsequently, he did pass away. His beneficiary was his wife because at that time, that's who he wanted. He got sick, he died fairly rapidly, didn't even think about who his beneficiary was at the time, wanted that money to go to his adult son, but he didn't change his beneficiary. Mm. So when the time came and he passed away, the son came to us and said, that money was meant for me. And while that may be true, we have no way of knowing that and nor can we do anything about it because the um, life insurance does not get passed through a will. It goes directly to whoever the beneficiary is. It's the reason why we always have to have the original of the enrollment form. It's the only reason. Mm-hmm. We actually have to see that original signature of the, the uh, member that they have designated that beneficiary. 
And because that can be disputed in court, if somebody's going to dispute an estate, which may include the um, life payout, we need to see that that person meant it to be for that beneficiary. So we can't do a thing about it. So basically it's carved in stone at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So we ask that you update all the time. Um, if your, your um, beneficiaries have changed, like I said, that's a big thing. If your, even your, your address, if your address changes, it will affect how claims are made. So the minute you go into your system, say you're, you've already, you, you do your submittance online, mm -hmm. and you have a different address now. Well, you plug that address in, your claim's going to be rejected because nobody knows that you're the same person because you actually have another address. So it's going to affect your claims, it's going to affect everything. So that's why everything has to be up to date at all time. Every little thing that you do that changes is material to a health plan. And I think that's the biggest message that everybody needs to know, that the way you're moving around in life, you as the member or the employee, also reflects what happens on the health plan. And when an employee is off work due to a disability, but the insurer hasn't been advised and then the employee dies, what are the consequences? That's the big one of the big ones, that um, we have to make it relevant to whoever the beneficiary is. So yes, again, it's just about updating, making sure all the information is current, it is hard to do because we don't know, as the plan administrators, we have no idea what happens to our clients and to their employees. Mm -hmm. So we rely on the information that's given to us from the employer. So it's very important that whoever is looking after the plan at the employer side is always current and up to date. Uh, how does out-of-country coverage work? It's a great question. There's where another area can happen that can get very expensive if it's not managed properly. So depending which insurers you're with, you may be covered for 60 days or 90 days. And then you'll have a certain amount of maximum liability. Some plans are a million, some are five million. Most of them now are about five million per incident. So the coverage is great. The problem comes in that when somebody actually gets hurt, let's remember that this coverage is only for traveling and emergency basis. So you need to actually have coverage on an emergency basis out of the country. That's all it's for. So you can't decide to do an elective procedure outside the country. It's got to be emergency. I stipulate that because some people actually believe they can get some sort of services done without it being emergency, but no, you won't be covered. But say you, you have this emergency, the first thing you should always do is report it to the insurer as soon as possible. Um, most insurers say it has to be reported within 48 hours. If it is not, you may not be eligible. You, that's the last thing you want to hear when you're out of the country because these costs are exorbitant. You can appreciate that when you... I, I'm going to give you an example. We had a member years ago who was in the hospital for a little under two days for a back issue. There was no surgery. It was just an MRI being done, some pain medications being done, and being monitored for about a day and a half. The bill was $60,000. Now, the good news is it was covered under the plan. However, if this person did not report that to the insurer right away, it may not have been covered under the plan, which means you would have to pay that out of your own pocket. The other thing is that when it happens, um, it's good to report it to the insurer because the insurer also knows exactly 
who to direct you to, the proper hospital care or the proper clinic. Because when you're traveling, you don't always know what facility is a good one to go to or what isn't. So it's actually a resource for you as well. But the biggest message here is that when you are treated, now obviously if you're treated on your own and you can't speak to the insurer, nobody's going to expect you to make that contact, but they will expect you to make that contact as soon as it's humanly possible. If they find out you haven't, again, you may not be covered. But once you do and you, you open up that file, the biggest message I want to leave you with is do not leave with a bill. Make sure that before you leave the hospital, you, hand, you phone the insurer, you hand the phone over to one of the representatives from the hospital or the clinic, and it's up to them now to negotiate that bill and to deal with it. The responsibility is no longer in your hands. There is also another uh, beware, if you will, a cautionary measure. We had another incident where um, somebody was in one of the islands, the Caribbean islands, and they had a bill for approximately $10,000. Now a lot of wow, credit 10, cards... Wow, 10000 10000 Wow. Now a lot of credit cards can carry that. Yeah. So they did pay on, the, on their credit card thinking that, well, I've got out-of-country coverage, no problem. When I get home, I'm going to submit my claim and I'm going to get that reimbursed. Well, when they got home, they did submit the claim, and they got six thousand reimbursed, not ten thousand. Mm -hmm. That four thousand actually had to be paid by the employee. And why did they pay? Because, or why did the insurer? More to the point, why the insurer didn't pay the full ten thousand? Because the insurer knew that that kind of service on that island was only worth six thousand dollars and should have only been billed at what we call reasonable and customary charges. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So insurers always pay out what's called either usual and customary, reasonable and customary. They have little terms, but it all means the same thing. They know how much you can charge for these services, and they, they have an approximation that they'll, they'll pay. And they will not pay more, because otherwise, essentially, you're ripping off a plan, and nobody wants that to happen. We, then we can't afford a plan anymore. So that's a perfect example. If that employee had actually gone to the insurer beforehand, they wouldn't have had to worry whether that bill was 10000 or 6000 The insurer takes over that responsibility. But now this 4000 had to come out of the employee's pocket. This employee couldn't pay it and went to the employer. So there's another liability. The employer now had to decide, is it worth it for us to pay this extra 4000 or risk a litigation from my employee? So we don't want to see that happen. We want people to have coverage. We want them to be mindful of their uh, plan and use it respectfully so that it runs smoothly. Mm -hmm. Now we talked a lot about employees and you know workplace uh, benefits and whatnot. Talking about students, what age are students covered under the plan? So currently students are covered up to the age of 21. If they become a full-time um, student, either in college or university, which they do actually have to prove that they have full-time enrollment, then they can be covered from the age of 21 to 25. If they, it, we, and for that, we need to actually have a student eligibility. So that form has to be completed and has to be submitted to us. If we don't get it automatically at age 21, they drop off the plan. So we don't go chasing you and say, hey, what's going on with your son or daughter right now? It's your responsibility as the employee to let us know that your dependent has turned 21, but they're still in school, and to fill out that eligibility, student eligibility form and submit it to us. Then they will have the coverage up to 25. 
but no longer. It doesn't matter if they're in school longer. No plan will cover it past that point. Now there is one exception. The exception would be if somebody is deemed handicapped. And in fact, once again, there's another form for that. And once they are um, submit the medical and show that they're handicapped, they can be a dependent forever. Oh, okay. And so then that's fine. We never have to go and look at it again. Once that's approved and they're, they're deemed handicapped, they're, they're forever insured as long as we, we carry that member on our plan. Well, Evelyn, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. The insights that you've given are extremely valuable, and I'm sure our listeners would agree to that. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in today's podcast. If you'd like us to talk about a specific topic, please drop us an email at ea at beneplan.ca. Also, be sure to follow us on our social channels on Instagram at beneplan.ca, Twitter at beneplan and Facebook as Beneplan Cooperative. This is Sofian signing out, and I hope you have a great day.